right, all right, here we go. This is the NBA Dream Podcast or RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Today is Thursday, April the 20th. I'm your host, Sleepy J. I am blessed to be in the presence of professional NBA better, Sir Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie and myself will go ahead. We'll cover some hot topics and some picks that we discussed. We'll also go ahead. We'll pound our chest a little bit for our Westbrook Prop of the Year pick that we gave out the other day to cash for all of us. Uh, outside of that, Mac, I'm frustrated. Uh, I feel like right now I should be zigging when I should be zagging. How long before football starts? Well, it depends what you mean by football. Talking NFL, that's September 7th, 2023. After Labor Day, you're going to have to wait a minute. However, USFL around the corner, you're going to be dabbling in that maybe? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No? <laughs> no, no part of that. That stuff is, that's like, um, I don't even have words for that. Like, I watched it and <laughs> I've actually seen high school football games. Like when you get to like, you know, the state championship level, I mean, it, it doesn't look much better than that. Um, some of the quarterbacks are just absolutely brutal. Sure. Uh, it's very, it just a lot of inaccuracy. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, like scrimmages and just going out there and just playing football with your buddies. I mean, I get it. Like throw uniforms on people. They're going to look good, but it's not very, it's not very fun to watch. Were you more of a quarterback or more of a receiver in those situations? Me, I, I was a wide receiver when I played football, and I was a cornerback. And I, I always tried to play safety, but I was just too wild. I was I like I felt like I could run everywhere when I played safety. So they were like, no, we just need you to, to stay over here, James. Stay here. Okay. Yeah, to, to be honest, I'm with you. I wanted to be quarterback. I played quarterback here and there. But my best asset was I was tall. I could jump pretty high. I was a good receiver and, and, and not much more than that. Quarterback for me was – it just gave me the opportunity to try to be a hero too much. And right. <laughs> I was scrambling like a mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I was trying to be Randall Cunningham and, and everything that I wasn't. And they were like, no, you can catch football pretty good, dude. You just focus on that. I'm like, All right, cool. <laughs> um, but let's, let's focus on the NBA there, Mac. A couple games wrapped up here on Wednesday. Milwaukee ended up getting a win here without Giannis. Memphis ended up getting a win without John Morant. So maybe we'll go ahead. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then we have the other game that's on currently right now, Denver and Minnesota. So that game is not final yet. But, Mac, let's go ahead. Let's talk about some some hot topics. I think maybe maybe we should start with Draymond. So Draymond's going to be out. The line in the Warriors game opened up at 7.5. It's currently down now to 5.5, so a two-point adjustment. Mac, I think some of that adjustment is due to the Warriors losing game one, game two. And I also think some of that adjustment, obviously, is because Draymond Green's worth something to the betting line. I don't believe that the that the two point adjustment is is for Draymond. I'm not sure where you have him as far as you know what he's worth to the betting line, or if you think he's worth anything at this point. Um, I know that that a lot of people, you know, don't think he's he's you know super helpful to this team. Maybe maybe he's doing more hurt than he is help. So where where are you at right now with Draymond? You know that he's going to miss Game Three. Draymond's an interesting one. He he vacillates. He's an incredible variance, not really from game to game, but from like season to season or month to month. I think in 2020, for example, he was like a negative for the team. You can't have that many turnovers and you can't have uh, you know that poor shooting and have nobody guard you all game and be helpful. That said, they won a championship last year and he was the best player. You mentioned this today in pre-production. He was arguably the best player in game six. You know, Curry didn't have his best game of the series that game. Draymond was everywhere. I think all in all added up on average, he's worth about a point. 
maybe a point and a half, but you see it move two two points from the announcement. And I think that goes to what you're saying, where there was some Sacramento money that was just like, all right, well, now that Draymond's announced, we got to pounce now. Uh, it was interesting. It moved a point almost instantly from seven and a half to six and a half. So that's the bookmaker saying, moving on air, as they say. Uh, let's just make this adjustment. Let's not get bet at plus seven and a half when we don't have to. We'll move it to six and a half. But about an hour later, it was five in some places and then bumped up, settled at five and a half. So that shows you the market has their own assessment where it's more than just Draymond Green missing. They've reassessed this matchup. And maybe I have to, too, because on the one hand, both of these games were tied or within one point with three minutes to go. J.J. Redick brought up a foul call that, looking back on it, probably did change the game. It could, It would have been... Free throws for the Warriors down one with three minutes to go. Instead, Kings up three after Sabonis pushed Looney, I think, out of the way with two hands and got the offensive re- rebound and put back. Uh, I did the math in my head. It was like, all right, if the Warriors were shooting free throws, they'd be like minus 130 maybe down one with the ball. Uh, on the other hand, the Kings up three with three minutes left in the Warriors scrambling. They're like minus 220. So that's a huge call in any situation. All right, all that said, and I definitely did bet the Warriors and definitely am bitter about losing that bet. But all that said, here's where I'm cautious. If you look at shot quality, and some people think it's worth nothing, some people it's, think it's a bit overrated, I think it's actually pretty accurate if you take it with a grain of salt saying these are the shots they got. Not necessarily a coincidence that the Warriors shot better than their opponents by shot quality because they're clutch. I mean, talking about last year's playoffs because they're experienced. They're not going to have the same emotions that a 24-year-old Jason Tatum looking at the bright lights of the finals in game one are going to have. So it made sense to me. It was mathematically sound that they were outperforming expectations compared to the competition. But in this series, the Kings are plus 15 by shot quality's metrics per game. They uh, won a close game in game one that they should have won easily. And last game, according to their shot quality numbers, Kings got a much better breadth and quality shots throughout the game. They should have won by over 20. So I'm, I'm backing off. I generally, uh, you know, when I lose a bet, I'm looking to, you know, go, go back and swing, swing again. But I don't think I'll be playing the Warriors here, even though I think the the, the market reaction dream on green seems a bit excessive. But I'm going to I'm going to take a step back and analyze because I'm there's something I missed in this matchup where the Kings are getting a lot better shots. The Warriors have me absolutely confused. And look, I think there's a couple of things we can look at. Maybe it was, you know, the fact that that Wiggins was out for a while. You know, they had to insert him into the lineup. And, and what was that going to look like? Uh, he hasn't played with with Gary Payton. And, you know, he was going to be out there. And I noticed, like, in, like, game two, they kind of seemed like they, they shifted away a little bit from Gary Payton. So this team looks like like they need a point guard, somebody to just go out there and run, run the whole, you know, situation. Jordan Poole hasn't looked good. Like, this team looks like – I don't want to say they're stuck in mud – but it looks like they, they got a cylinder right now that's not firing. I think one of the main issues maybe with with the Warriors right now is that they're just getting chewed up on the inside. Points in the paint from game one and game two are in favor heavily of the Kings. So it's not going to get any easier, I don't think, with Draymond not on the floor. I would probably go ahead and, and say he's probably worth like a point and a half. You know, statistically, obviously he slipped a little bit. But I think the one thing that Draymond brings to that team that they will miss in this game is he's just a firecracker. Like he's a fire starter under that team's ass. Uh, If you watch when he was getting ejected and, and, you know, taking his walk to the locker room, you know, he was literally screaming in, in, in Andrew Wiggins face to go out there and just beat people up and go out there and and, and do his job and win that game. 
Like that's the part of Draymond that I love. You know, he reminds me of of an Allen Iverson, a guy who just goes out there and he gives all his heart out and, and he plays his rear end off. Any any place to the crowd. You know, a guy like maybe like a Dennis Rodman who has no problem getting in your face and just being gritty. That's one of the reasons why I like Draymond. Like I you've heard me on this podcast before. I'm I'm definitely pro Draymond. I don't think he should have been suspended. Oh my god, no. Yeah, but I thought both guys probably should have gotten a technical and been able to finish out the game. Or if you were going to go ahead and kick Draymond out, then there, there should be no reason you don't kick Sabonis out. It, it kind of reminds me of like the NFL, where it's like it's always the second guy that gets the flag thrown on him. Well, then if if that's the case, then why not just go attack somebody and just wait and see if they go ahead and, and kind of come back at you? I didn't like it. They will miss Draymond in this game. That, that That's for sure. I'm going to stay away from it, Mac, because I haven't seen a good version of Golden State through game one or game two. I don't even know if I've really seen anything outside of maybe one good quarter out of this team. So for me, it's it's clearly a pass on this one. I, I won't play the total because at times Golden State will go out there and play like they're the best defense in the league. And I know we have not seen that all year long, but I wouldn't be shocked if they put just a really good defensive effort together here and maybe this one even stays under. So I'm staying away from it altogether. I just I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna hope that Draymond comes back in game four. And I think maybe I'll try to make a prop play on him because he's gonna ball out. I guarantee he's gonna ball out at home. Um that's kind of where 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 I'm at right now with this particular series. So some housekeeping. According to Dunks and Threes, estimated plus minus, I think the single best analytic tool for how many points is a guy worth if you know we're not making our own personal assessments so i think about a point they say about two points 1.8 points this year and this is how it shakes out so on offense he takes away about a point and a half or at least he would to an average team by their assessment but on defense he adds three so he more than makes up for his offensive inabilities um arguably the defense hasn't shown up in this series in these two games uh but you're missing a lot without him um there's a soccer player in Italy. I don't think he plays anymore, but uh, he had a slogan. He was a very, he was a firebrand, as they say, very controversial. He'd lift up his shirt and he would say, why always me? It does seem like this could have been nothing. Instead, you, there's all these clips of Draven Green yelling at the crowd, rallying them up after the game, and then he gets suspended with that being a key part of it. Uh, it just seems like the attention, the the fervor, that he brings is something that the league plays into. This was a thing because they made it a thing. It was an, it was an unfortunate play, something that might happen 20 times in a game with the bad boy Pistons. Uh, and we might talk about one or two plays going over the line, but he got stomped in the chest. Yeah. And he almost got his ankle twisted by a guy on the ground Two nefarious acts. Let's keep it moving. So that's what I have to say about that. Uh, yep. That's what I have to say about that. It's going to be interesting when he comes back, but I think the main reason why they probably did this, Mac, is, you know, they didn't want the the situation to get out of hand and then, you know, players out there throwing punches, and then they have no choice but to go ahead and, and suspend guys for multiple games and, and the series gets turned up. So. Right. But but who was throwing punches? It's it's kind of a fantasy that, 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 it, that it was this, that this thing, it was a thing that it wasn't. Right. You know? If you could suspend somebody for doing something like this, Draymond Green is is like the poster child to go ahead and just say, kick them out. They'll be fine at home. They got they got Curry. They like I mean, that was a, a major story for the NBA. Major. And it's not one game that it cost them. It's arguably two games. It's the fourth quarter of a game that was tied late. 
He could have made one play. That was the difference. One rebound. That was a, that could have been the difference. Could have swung swung the situation. And then he gets a whole another game. So a game and a half. It's it's very egregious. And I think it's telling. Show me one player that's saying Sacramento got that some, it was the right call. Like most Bates saying, "Are you kidding me? I would have kicked him in the face." Like if if, if that happened to me. Uh, a lot of guys speaking out where this is not a safe play and a reaction to it within a half second is not nefarious, not premeditated, nothing like the Christian Leitner play where he's looking at a guy on the ground, smiles, and steps on him. It's it's completely different. It's get off me with the shrug, actually very much like the 2016 finals. And like then, uh, one guy gets a technical, one guy gets a flagrant two. Uh, it's out of bounds. It's ridiculous. It's egregious. Uh, it's it's a lot of things. But it's it's kind of funny, but it's very telling that the NBA, uh, you know, it's not, not not necessarily fair. And I think a lot of people are seeing that today. But they saw it in 2016. Same reaction. What? Are you kidding me? Suspended? But that's going to go. That's going to fade away. And uh, the NBA gets what it wants. It's funny because I was watching a lot of the interviews this morning just talking about Draymond. And there were a lot of people that were against the, the referees in, in that particular game saying, you know, that the, if, the, if they're going to call it this way, they got to call it that way. If you're going to let a guy clearly go ahead and they were talking about Sabonis, clearly push a guy in the back and not call the foul. Like you get, you got to let it go the other way. So, you know, it, clearly people were up in arms about the, you know, the referee job that they did in that particular game. One of the other big topics yesterday was, you know, Scott Foster uh, going up against Chris Paul. And I guess, what was he like 14 and 0 when they put the ax in that. So that, that streaks over. I know the Warriors right now are struggling to go ahead and, and let's say assist the basketball, get any kind of tempo, any kind of groove going on offense. And when you take Draymond off the floor, that's one of the reasons why I don't want this because if if they went out and and I felt really comfortable that that the Warriors could go out there and have a you know a well old machine offense with Draymond then I would maybe take a look at them but the fact that he's not on the floor not only because of you know all the energy he brings but he can run that offense too and right now their offense looks like it's kind of stuck in mud. I agree with that and I think their defense is not necessarily just going to be buttoned up. I don't think Andrew Wiggins necessarily is at 100% game shape. And to be honest, it just re- reminds me way too much of 2016, where that was probably their worst game of the playoffs. They were lethargic. Both Kyrie and LeBron had 40. Andre got his back hurt. Andre Iguodala. Uh, Bogut got hurt. They just kind of fell apart in that one game. And we were talking about this in pre-production. We differ on uh, our views of Dream on Green. I think he's controversial, excellent in some areas, and overrated in some areas, especially on offense. And I always wanted to see somebody else in that role. It's a very unique role. Where I think a guy like Dennis Rodman, if he was 25 again, he would be great at it. He fits in where he, he gets in where he fits in. Uh, it's a role for a guy that is an enforcer, that's a defensive uh, savant because he has to make up for a lot of uh, smallness, a lot of small lineups, uh, a lot of rotations they do. It's it's definitely a cerebral position, um, and I'm not sure that anyone else could do it. But I'm also not sure that someone else c- might not be able to, like a guy like. Um, OG Ananobi or something, if he got a bigger role and he was able to use that defense. So I, it's just something as an NBA fan I would like to see. But I think given that they don't have anybody else to fill that role, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big loss. And not necessarily on the court, but just the vibe in the building. I get a weird feeling that it, it might it might not go the way that everyone thinks it seems to, seems to go, uh, you know, with the Warriors bouncing back and getting back in the series. Well, I mean, you and I could probably sit here and argue about, you know, how important Draymond is to this team or, or not, but I'll say this, that they don't have the rings that they have if that guy's not on the team. I mean, it depends who else they got, but yeah. 
Yeah, like when you win a title, sometimes everything has to fit perfectly, and you have to be the best team in order to go ahead and, and you know win a title. And that goes for for any sport. And I think Draymond is a perfect fit for this team. That's I guess that's the easiest way for me to say it. Maybe he's he's slowly deteriorating a little bit. Maybe maybe Clay is as well. Yeah, but. This team right now, one thing that this team knows how to do, they know how to motivate each other. They know how to go on big runs. They know how to score. They know how to win titles. And taking Draymond off this team or or taking him out, you know, for one particular game, you know, it could hurt him. So we'll see. You know, it's going to be an interesting game three there in Golden State. Hopefully they, they you know, they go ahead and get a win there because if they go down 0-3, Mac, I'll tell you what, it, it's <laughs> – it's going to take a valiant effort for the Warriors to go and, and sweep out four games. I would say this. I agree Draymond Green is the perfect fit for the Warriors. I also think it's an ideal dreamlike situation for a guy like Draymond Green. It's also the perfect role for a guy like that. And he was a second-round pick for a reason. The NBA has not seen many players. Dennis Rodman also, I think, in the late first round or second round, if he was drafted at all. Uh, you don't see it coming when a guy at 6'6 can be the best defender in the league. Um you know, it's been a pleasure to watch, but uh, it might be ending early this spring, the way the way things are rolling currently uh, in this one. All right. Well, this series isn't over yet. Let's talk about a series that potentially could be over, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets series. So it's going to swing back to Brooklyn now. Philly got a commanding 2-0 lead. Philly wins both games, cover both games. Uh, they're going to be around a 4.5 point, 5 point favorite going on the road. Mac, let me throw this at you. Let, let, you know what we'll do? Let's do a bet tank right now. So I'm going to give you a handicap. You go ahead and you grade it. So I'm going to try to talk you into this prop. So one of the things that I've noticed with this Brooklyn Nets team there, Mac, over the first two games is that they have struggled to find a second score. In game one, it was Bridges. In game two, it was Cam Johnson. And then it was nobody else. And I think going back to Brooklyn – that we should probably take a strong look at somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, Dinwiddie has had maybe some of his better games at home with this Brooklyn team. Uh, I think he, what was it, Max, 17 and a half, 15 and a half uh, home road split. So a little bit better, a little bit better at home. But I swear I've seen games where he was lined at 21 and a half. And currently right now, he's lined at 16 and a half. If you go and you look at game one against Philadelphia, the one thing that Brooklyn did that, that just killed them, they tried to go inside and play against Embiid. And they realized, like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try to switch that up for game two. And it was right in the first quarter. And I think they threw an alley-oop. It might even have been Dinwiddie to Claxton. And there was Embiid. And I'm like, dude, that didn't – I even put it on Twitter. I'm like, that shit didn't work in the last game. What are you doing? Like, don't do that anymore. And then it was like they, they just stopped doing it. And for some reason, they, then they just started shooting from the outside. In game one, Brooklyn took 29 threes. In game two, they took 42. So I think they 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 realized, let's stay the hell away from Embiid. Like, why would you ever want to attack a guy like that anyway? We saw it in game one. It didn't work. Game two, I felt like Brooklyn actually stood a pretty good chance. They were shooting low from the outside. That game was actually close. Uh, going into halftime, it was close. It just so happened that that the second half got away from them. Philadelphia really locked down there on defense. But I think going back to Brooklyn, 
I think that the second score, they need somebody else besides Bridges and besides Cam Johnson. They need somebody to go ahead and, and, and shoot from the outside. And that's going to be Dinwiddie. If you look at two games that Dinwiddie played, again, and I, like I'm trying to compare like a guy who is going to be able to protect the rim, similar to Embiid. And, and I'll go back and I'll, I'm not going to say it's Rudy Gobert, but in two games against Rudy Gobert, Dinwiddie had like his best games of the season, and Brooklyn didn't go inside against that guy because they realized, you know, we're not going to be able to re- out-rebound over this dude. We're not going to get to the line. We're not going to be able to score in the paint. And those were the games where Dinwiddie went off. I think he had like 30-plus in both of the games against Gobert. So I think they kind of noticed that from game one to game two, and now going home to game three, this is going to be a real good spot here for Dinwiddie. 16 and a half seems low. I think this line should probably be closer to 20. Where I, where I know that I've seen that in the regular season where this guy was lined at like 21 and a half multiple times this year. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to recommend that we go ahead and we play Spencer Dinwiddie there, Mac, over 16 and a half points. So I know it threw a lot of stuff at you, a lot of things to consider. But if the Nets are going to hang around, they have to find another guy. And it just smells to me like this is a Spencer Dinwiddie type of game. In the last podcast, you talked about how it's hard when you think about betting an over on a guy that's not necessarily the first or the second scorer. And you're saying Dinwiddie is the second scorer. I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure he's that three-point shooter that they need because, you know, he's always been a guy that likes to get in, you know, likes to use his driving ability as well, averaging about two threes per game in the last few years. And if you look at his shooting splits, February was 35%. March, it was 28%. This is from three. April, before the playoffs, 21%. And now he's two for eight in two games uh, I'm not sure he's feeling his stroke right now. Uh, so uh, for those reasons, uh, I'm out. And I think you bring up some valid points, but here's one thing that I will say, Mac, is that this team's been very inconsistent since they got thrown together. You know, one game it was Cam Thomas from out of nowhere. I mean, the guy hasn't even seen the floor. That's funny. And then it's Bridges. And then it's and then it's Cam Johnson. And then it's Dinwiddie. So it's very sporadic on who's going to go ahead and take the mantle for the night. And I know that a couple games where Dinwiddie gets quiet, he all of a sudden erupts. And this is typically like a game that he would do that, a game at home where he plays better, a game where they're going to end up playing a premier center where it's like, okay, we need to get our offense going from the outside. So it just smells to me like it lines up right. And I'll go ahead, I'll, I'll make the play. So I'll, I'll, I'll play him over to 16 and a half points. Yeah, and both of us make plenty of plays that the other one doesn't necessarily 100% agree with or maybe bets the other way. Uh, I will say, though, that we, you've done excellent on your player props here on this podcast, and we've done excellent. Shout out to Russell Westbrook on our agreed-upon player props. Uh, hope, hope, Wish you the best on this one, my friend. All right. Well, we'll talk about Westbrook here in a minute. And you're right. You know, sometimes we have to disagree or agree on these props and really figure out what we like. You know, I went ahead. I brainwashed it the other day. If you guys went ahead and you took the Derek White over assist, Mackenzie actually came pre-production to the podcast with Derek White over points. So I completely talked him out of it, and that was the winning play. So this is why we do these podcasts. That's why Mac and I go ahead and sit down and talk to try to figure this out. So he's not exactly pro Dinwiddie here. I am. So I'll go ahead. I'll give you guys that. So when it when it loses, you guys know where to go, at Mac and Rivers <laughs> on Twitter. But, Mac, let's go ahead. Let's talk about Westbrook. Um, I don't want to say that that was like one of our best predictions of the year. You and I sat down and we talked about that. We talked all the way through it, and everything just sounded right. And it just so happened that Russell Westbrook, over 16.5 points, it cashed in the second quarter. 
So it was right. And I said, you know, if he gets well over his total, that the next time we see Russell Westbrook's point total, it was going to be around 19 and a half. Well, went and looked at the odd screen today. Russell Westbrook's point total for the next game, 19 and a half. So look, we'll pound our chest a little bit for this winner. It felt good, Mac. Everybody was happy on Twitter. And, and thanks to you guys for going and, you know, chiming in and reaching out to us and, and, you know, keeping the conversation going. So that was pretty fun there. But Mac, did you see anything from Westbrook that you that you liked particularly in that game or, or anything that you disliked? I mean, the, the play hit. So, yeah, you know, congrats there. You know, to us, awesome job there, Russell Westbrook. You, you, you did something good for once because that guy hasn't been kind to many people. But is there anything that you pulled out of there that, that kind of made you maybe feel like maybe do we look at Westbrook again or do we not want to go ahead and, and get too close to the fire with that? It's funny because we were so correct on all fronts. Yes, he's going to continue to shoot second most on the team. He's likely to be more efficient because, you know, no one goes three for 19 two games in a row. And he was affirmed with the way he was playing. He's going to play that style again. Well, correct on all fronts. And we also said another correct prediction. This prop should be 19 and a half. Well, now it's 19 and a half. So we got nowhere to go. You can we can pat ourselves on the back. Good pick. Uh, I thought the process like you were talking about was excellent, where we talked about every side of it and was all pointing in one direction. And the fact that, you know, fake sharps uh, were, would be against it was just another indicator. Like, yeah, this is why you watch. This is why we watch the games and talk about it like we do, because there is a, a group herd mentality in Vegas and across the betting universe uh, to go unders with players like Russell Westbrook when it was just com- completely wrong. And now a day later, we can look at it and it's three points different. Uh, unfortunately, with all of that correctness, the market saw it and they've corrected for it. So I, I, uh, I expect him to play the same and I expected to have the same mixed results with a lot of production and not too much efficiency over the long run. Everything just kind of lined up for, for that performance. At least that's the way that, that we feel. And that's what worries me about him in this next particular game. And, and one of the reasons we do this podcast is to tell you guys to go ahead and make bets and to tell you guys not, you know, not to bet certain things. If you guys are all excited about Westbrook, let's not bet him now. All right. So our, our recommendation here, Mac, and I think you probably agree with me, is let's not go back to the well on him. We got our money out of Westbrook. Let's let's be happy with that. But why don't we talk about our best bet there, Mac? Because you and I both agree on our best bet and you and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to endorse the Phoenix suns minus the two and a half points here on the road against the Clippers. I guess I'll start out with this one a little bit. The one thing that I like right now about Phoenix is that they kind of figured themselves out in game two, right around late second quarter. And in the third and the fourth, we clearly saw them go ahead and outplay the Clippers. Now let me bring Westbrook back into this. Westbrook might go out there and try to shoot and have another 28-point game, and that could be a recipe for disaster for the Clippers here at home. I think that at some point, and I believe it very well could be this game, Mac, that the Suns play their best game because they didn't do it in game one, they didn't do it in game two. You can argue with me if you want, but I'll tell you that that team did not play their best basketball yet in the playoffs. It, It very well could come here, and I think that it will there, Mac. And I think that's one of the reasons why we like this one. But there's just so many other reasons on the other side why why we would never play the Clippers in this particular spot, even though some may. There are some thoughts for you guys to go ahead and kind of chew on there, Mac, but I'll let you go ahead and, and take over for this one. Yeah, I like the Suns a lot here. I think this might be a five-game series the more that I look at it. Uh, because if you would have told me at the beginning of this series, or rather if you would have told me 
project out two games into the series, Kawhi is going to be shooting 24 for 44, scoring 35 a game. And Russell Westbrook is going to be shooting 34% from the field over two games. I know he was really hot last game and he was really cold the first game, but hey, take law of large numbers. The more aggregate information you have, the more stronger your predictions will be. I'll be like, this is the series I predicted. This is why the Suns closed minus 500 favorites. And I think when you project forward, what's more likely to continue? I think, yes, Kawhi is the best player, but what Russell Westbrook is going to be the X factor. And I think history tells us that uh, production will be there. Efficiency won't be. So the last time he was in the playoffs, he didn't make it the year before with the Lakers, but 2020, 2021 with the Wizards, 19 points per game, shooting 34% from the field. They had one win, upset win over the Sixers, and they lost in five. Uh, he did more as the series went on, and he wasn't any more efficient at it. That's what I see going on here, where he's scoring 18.5 points per game, shooting 34% from the field, really the exact same numbers. And I don't think it's, I don't think he's a bad player, but I don't think he's an adequate second best player to contend with Devin Booker, who's having, he's quietly scoring 30 points per game in the series on pretty good efficiency. Chris Paul had his stinker game one. I think the fact that Kevin Durant had lost six playoff games in a row just seemed, seemed like a dud. And I think it was kind of an aberration. I think game two, the second half of game two, I mean, they were down 10 early ended up winning that game going away. I think that's going to be more indicative. I think the Suns are figuring it out. So I like the Suns here. You're only laying two and a half. Uh, that'll be my best bet for this spot. All right. So you and I agree here with this one. You know, I talked about this, I think, before the playoffs started, Mac. And this was one of the reasons why I really like the Suns, you know, minus the one and a half games at minus 195. And my big thing was efficiency. And you just mentioned that. Look at Look at the efficiency from the Suns in game two. They shot like 58%, 59%. And that's the issue with the Clippers is that there's a lot of guys on that team. Paul George isn't there. So, yeah, you need Norm But Norm Powell could shoot you out of a game. You need other guys like a Nick Batum, 0 for 4. Zubak was 2 for 7. Eric Gordon was 4 for 12. If the Clippers can't shoot at a super high efficiency, I don't think they'll ever beat the Suns team anymore in, in, in this series. And you can't leave it all on Kawhi. And if you're number two guy in Westbrook, who give him credit, he had a great game. But where does the efficiency come from, Mac? I think it's kind of, it, let's call it like the law of averages. It just doesn't, it, it, it's not going to work out. I don't think any more in this series because the Suns are just too damn efficient. Aiton was seven for 10. Chris Paul was super efficient. Booker, the whole, the, the entire starting lineup was super efficient. Even, even Craig was. My opinion, Mac, it's just it's caught up to him right now. Agree. I mean, Kawhi and Russell Westbrook in the second half, uh, they were tied at halftime, ended up losing by 14. This was their stats combined. Let's combine them. Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, 8 for 16, 26 points in the second half, 50% shooting, 1 for 1 from 3, only 3 turnovers, not terrible for 2 players in the second half, and 50% shooting. The rest of the team shot 5 for 18 with count them six turnovers. So more turnovers than field goals made in the second half for the rest of the team. Like I said, I think the Suns are figuring it out. They're forcing the ball where they where, where it's not going to yield a lot of great results. Ivan Zupic one for three in the second half, two turnovers. Um, and I like the, I like the Suns to end up. I'm sure you were, you were sweating that minus 190 in six games or better. Uh, for the Suns, but now more that I think about it, this isn't going seven. It might not go six. I like the Suns here. All right, good stuff there, Mac. So why don't we talk a couple players here? Because we had some key injuries here. 
for the Wednesday night games with Giannis and John Morant. Let's start with Giannis there, Mac. So he ends up not playing. He was upgraded, downgraded, and the line was all over the place a little bit. Milwaukee didn't need him. I mean, they went out there, they absolutely blew the doors off Miami. But Giannis worries me, and I said this on the last podcast, like, I don't believe it until I see it. But, Mac, I got to ask you, like, when your star player doesn't play, isn't that a clear indication that that dude is legit hurt? And then when he misses a game where you're down 1-0, doesn't that kind of make you even a little bit more worried? I'm not touching the Bucks. Great performance, but going to Miami, I, I don't believe that Giannis is going to play. That That's where I'm at. I'm in that camp right now. And if he's not on the floor for Milwaukee, I, I, I simply can't touch them in game three or game four. I'm actually bullish on on Milwaukee more than most without Giannis. I think this year they're a deeper team than usual. And they have such a coherent system that it's kind of plug and play. It's just, all right, we'll get more threes from the rest of the squad. Not that that would work against elite competition, but the Heat aren't elite competition. And the Heat have actually been a great matchup against Giannis, the number one matchup defensively out of any of his 29 opponents. But I think you bring up the right point. Giannis not playing a game where they're you know minus 500 in the series, it's, it's less of a big deal. They got home games to go. In this series, they went from 90% chance to win it at open, according to the Vegas odds at minus 1,100, to about 65% before tip-off of game two. They were minus 225 in some spots. That's a, that's a huge drop-off. That's losing like a third of your chance to win a championship in the first round. Right there, you could, you could, you could legitimately drop out. The fact that he was upgraded to questionable in the morning I'll talk about the line in a second because it was very weird. But the fact that he was upgraded to questionable, it seemed kind of like subterfuge to me. It seemed like maybe he's actually not going to play game three or game four. And this is like, I mean, Kevin Durant did this for like six weeks in the 2019 playoffs where he's actually very far, much farther than we think, from making a return. So again, I said this in the last podcast, I think Celtics are going to win the East. I think they're more likely than ever. They're only slightly favorite right now over Boston. Maybe after tonight, they won't be. Uh, but I think they're clear favorites, and I, I would be skeptical of Milwaukee getting Giannis back sooner rather than later as well. Uh, regarding the line, so this morning, Wednesday morning, it was six, and it was assuming that Giannis was out. He had just been downgraded to doubtful the day before. Then he's upgraded to questionable. It zooms up to eight and a half, even nine in some spots. Market knows, all right, no one play, 80% of the time, if you're questionable, you play. And then just as soon he's announced out, it kind of ticks down, and then right before tip-off, it goes closes at five and a half in a lot of spots. Um, I mean, I mean, let me ask you, if Giannis is fully healthy, I, I never thought the line reflected Giannis being healthy. When it was eight and a half, I'm like, Giannis has a chance to play. Uh, I think if Giannis is fully healthy, this should have been like 11, where Miami loses uh, Tyler Hero, and they were nine and a half point favorites in the last game, and they won. So it should be like bounce back spot makes it 10 and a half. No Tyler Hero makes it 11 and a half, even uh, 12, maybe. So I never thought it was fully priced in. But what did you make of the line movement where it dropped all the way, you know, six and a half points where it might have been to Bucks minus five and a half, and then they win easily? Oh, man. It was crazy because you talked about the bounce back spot. But I also felt like, and, and look, I don't know what your thinking was on why you like the Bucks, but I believe a lot of it might have had to do with the fact that Miami had to play the Bulls. They had to play the Hawks. They had to go on the road. They got to win. That it, it was clearly like, boy, we did our job over the last like three games that we had to play. Like clear letdown spot. I'm not against like the the minus eleven, even though that might seem crazy. 
the minus 11 actually would make sense for that particular game. And, you know, they went out there and, you know, they won the game by 16, but they were up by a boatload. I think 11 is fair. They only won by 16. That's funny. I stopped watching that game. I'm like 30 point win for the Bucks. But uh, I'm sure there's a lot of heat plus 25 and a half money out there live uh, that got there. Here's my thinking, Mac. Miami's going to come into this game, I think, supremely motivated. And I have to worry if Giannis isn't healthy and the Bucks are fat and happy off this win. Will Miami be able to just be like be like so much more motivated and ready to go? Like if they know that Giannis isn't healthy or if Giannis doesn't play, that like game three could be the, 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 the absolute turning point in this series. I would be careful messing with the Bucks. That's just kind of how I feel right now. Like, and, and look, I haven't had a whole lot of time to, to kind of, you know, process this entire series, obviously, because there was a game tonight. But I'm not going to look at the the performance that Miami had tonight in, as a negative because they had to fight their way, you know, win two out of their last three games, you know, in order to get here. An interesting side note, and this might relate to Russell Westbrook, who had a really hot game but might not continue it. Uh, as a former star point guard. So Kyle Lowry, first game of the play, and they ended up losing. But monster second half, monster comeback, scored 33 points on 16 shots in a close loss to the Hawks. Relatively close. The next three games, 12 points on 11 shots in 54 minutes. What does it mean? It was a complete aberration. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to start that game. He comes off the bench. He gets red hot, uh, goes unconscious. That happens in the NBA. Like, you ever play pickup with someone that's, like, in D1? It's like they never miss. They're amazing. Like, these guys have it in them to, to do that on a given night. Not necessarily at this point in his career we can expect that going forward. So without that, without Tyler Hero, which we talked about, advanced numbers say he's the most important offensive player on the Heat. Uh, I still look at Milwaukee. I played them uh, tonight. I might play them again uh even without Giannis, I mean, I, I see what you're saying where the, the Bucks might be in trouble. Uh, they haven't won a playoff series, many playoff games without Giannis. But I think even if Giannis doesn't play the rest of the way, I think they probably cover this, win this in six, five or six. Well, I guess I, I do have to take a look at, at what the margin was in this game at one point. You know, like Hero was clearly missed. So let me ask you this, because Giannis hasn't played two games now. Like, where are you at right now? Do you think he plays game three? Do you think he plays any more in this particular series or in the playoffs? I'm in the camp. I think he's hurt. I think the fact that they were down 0-1 and that he missed the rest of the game in game one, didn't play game two, that he's clearly hurt, hurt. So I'm I'm going to say 40% chance that he plays in game three. So 60% chance he doesn't play. I'd agree with that. What do you think the chances are he plays again in this series? I think likely, but not not definite, maybe 75%. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I, like, I'm thinking that it's a more serious injury than, than more people think. I've never heard of a guy missing 40 minutes of a game with a back injury. Uh, it's, it's very worrisome. What worries me is like, you know, you think about like back injuries and the only guy that, that really rings a bell to me that, that, is Ben Simmons like that dude was like literally like unable to go play basketball and he's been Um, questionable for two and a half years yeah like if you mess up your back or you bust a vertebrae or you know you pinch a nerve or you know whatever I don't know I mean I I, I've had a a a back that's like you know gets creaked up when I sleep crazy and stuff like that and like it's not comfortable but I've never fallen like that on my back to where I wasn't able to go out there and do it like you have to wonder like did he mess himself up so 
I think it, it's and like you're running around. It's it's not like you have a jammed finger or you're, you're a broken nose. Like when you're back and your and your legs aren't working, it, it's hard to play basketball. At least I would imagine. Yeah, I agree. I I get a bad vibe. I get a vibe like they're uh, they're hiding something that they know it's going to be pretty. It's going to be a few games. All right. Well, there's Giannis. Let's talk John Morant quickly. He didn't play. Again, I I think his injury is probably a lot bigger than more people think. Another team that was down. The Lakers went in there, got a win in game one. Memphis bounced back, got a win in game two without John Morant. But I do think that he's injured. I don't want to say as bad as Giannis. I don't. I, I necessarily. I don't even know Mac. But the fact that he didn't play, I'm not optimistic that he's healthy either. So the last two years, the Grizzlies. 33 and 17 straight up without John Morant. Looked pretty comfortable in game two. I think he's overrated by the market at this point. We talked about some on the Dream Preview uh, Tuesday edition with Fez, AJ, Scott Seinberg. Check that one out. The market thinks he's worth four points to the line, four and a half points to the line. He's one of the faces of the league. We saw this go from Grizzlies minus four to close game one to Lakers minus one and a half tonight, although there was some late money coming back on Memphis. That's a huge move. That's a five and a half point move through the bounce back. I don't think he's worth anything close to that. Uh, I think he's worth about half that. And um, kicking myself for not playing the Grizzlies here because uh, a lot of very public factors that probably wise guys should just shrug off. Lakers playing off a big win. Probably want to fade that most nights. And uh, Grizzlies without John Morant, without their quote-unquote best player, probably their best player, but not significantly more important than Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain, in my opinion, uh, without him. And uh, we, you saw the value come in. Grizzlies won this one easily. I saw the value of Jaron Jackson over the last two games. I'll tell you that. Like AD looked like he didn't even show up for the game tonight, which was extremely surprising after the way that that guy's been playing. But Jaron Jackson Jr. is, you know, he's he's doing a number out there. So, you know, clearly they're able to go ahead and make up for John some in some places. But I worry that if he doesn't play, that they might end up kind of against it in L.A. So we'll see. We'll see how that series shakes out, too. Uh, Cleveland, the Knicks there, Mac. I'm probably going to have a premium play on that one on Friday night. So I don't want to talk too much about that. So let's skip that one there. That's funny. I'm actually looking at that Cleveland-New York game myself. I put this out on Twitter, at Mac and Rivers. So both games, game one and two, go way under. Maybe market under overreacts? Snap back over? That's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. So when it goes over, over... Games one and two, under's a very strong play, 63% since 2002. Makes a lot of sense. Market overreacts, public overreacts to two overs in a row. When it goes under, under, do you think the opposite happens? No, because no one's interested in betting an under, even if it's uh, two in a row, even if there's some momentum play. Doesn't affect the public. So if it goes under, under, there's probably something fundamental about the matchup that's making it a slow-paced game, and the market doesn't adjust to it enough. 58% in game three goes under. When games one and two, like in this series, the game has, games have gone under. By the way, also relates to Boston and Atlanta. So little tease, maybe on pregame.com, I might be interested in that. In one or two ways, both of the Knicks and the Cavs have gone under their team total significantly in both games. Just throwing that out there. All right. Well, there's a couple nuggets there for you guys. Uh, and as Max said, pregame.com, go over there. And you, since, since we, we kicked butt on our Russell Westbrook prop, we're going to give you guys a coupon code PROP20. If you guys want to save 20% there on any pick at pregame, just enter code PROP20. Save 20%. Uh, so that'll wrap it up, Matt. Good stuff there. Glad we got a chance to go ahead and talk here. 
uh, on some of the Thursday and Friday stuff. You guys know where to find Mac and I on Twitter, at Mac and Rivers, at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. Thank <laughs> you.